It's November 4th, 2008. Barack Obama has just been elected to the highest office in America, President of the United States. And people are absolutely going crazy. This day was historic and significant in ways most of us weren't aware of at the time. You see, before Obama was president, he was a senator of Illinois. He's not going to be a senator and president at the same time. So when he got elected, he had to give up his seat. You can't just have an empty Senate seat lying around for long. Somebody's got to fill it. And in the state of Illinois, the governor is the lucky one who gets the honor of choosing who that person will be. The governor at the time, Rod Blagojevich. He seemed to be a charismatic, ambitious Democrat. This is Juliette Sorensen. She's a professor at Northwestern Law School former prosecutor and the co-author of Public Corruption and the Law. And Rob Blagojevich was the young, handsome governor of Illinois. Born in Chicago, Blagojevich was considered one of the party's rising stars. Like Bill Clinton, Blago had a way of making people feel special. He was easygoing, fun to talk to, gregarious. Engaging with people was something that came naturally to him. So there he is, with a winning personality, in the most powerful position in Illinois, when Illinois' favorite son had just been elected president, leaving him with a Senate seat to give out. It was a pretty sweet spot to be in, and the political winds seemed to be in his favor. Illinois had been, and still is, a powerful democratic state in the U.S. And in 2008, something exciting was happening in American politics. We were entering a phase, one of hope and change, the very principles that Obama had campaigned on. The strains of the early 2000s, 9-11, Iraq war, financial crisis, ballooning debt. These were gonna give way to a better time thanks to a new group of public servants who were determined to clean up the mess, like Rod Blagojevich. But despite all that talk of cleaning up, of clearing out the corruption, Blago did the opposite. He made it worse. Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich was arrested, along with his chief of staff, John Harris, on Tuesday morning by federal authorities and charged with corruption. Blagojevich is a I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheat, a series that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, the governor's fall, how one public official used the power of his office for personal profit. <laughs> Politics. Uh, yeah, I know. We're all a bit exhausted talking about them. It's okay to admit it, but they're always there whether you're paying attention or not. It's not all doom and gloom because for as much as there is to gripe about, and there's a lot, there's still people that go into public service to actually help folks. You know, people who believe in the original purpose of government, to serve to provide resources and opportunities. Which brings us to Rod Blagojevich, who ran for office on this very idea. Let's clean up the government. Let's bring it back to what it's supposed to do. Bring some good to the people of Illinois. But who was this guy anyway? Blagojevich started his political career and no one really knew who he was. 
he was a guy who kind of sprang out of nowhere. This is Rick Pearson, chief political reporter for the Chicago Tribune, where he's been for over 30 years. Rob Blagojevich, of average height and build, is mainly known for his hair. A thick black coif combed into a wave across his forehead. Blago had gone to law school, returned to Chicago, and after a stint working as a prosecutor, he married Patty Mel, whose father was an alderman in Chicago politics. Blago set out on a political career, serving three terms in the state and federal legislature. At first, he didn't make much of a mark. He would be what I would consider part of the mushroom caucus in Congress that kept in the dark and fed manure. And that kind of summed up his legislative career without any kind of great notoriety. But all that changed when Blago decided to run for governor of Illinois in 2002. Illinois was basically coming off of having sent its Republican governor, George Ryan, to federal prison over a commercial truck driver's licenses for bribes scandal. Former Governor Ryan had been found guilty of racketeering, fraud, and other offenses. But the primary scandal that dogged Ryan had happened when he was serving as the Illinois Secretary of State. Ryan had overseen a scheme to sell driver's license in exchange for campaign contributions. And it all came to a head when a driver who had illegally obtained a license caused an accident that resulted in six children burning alive in the car. Jesus. Yeah, you don't come back from that. And so Blagojevich was this new young face who pledged how he was going to clean up corruption, clean up Illinois government. Blago was going to come in after the mess that George Ryan made and clean it up. Now keep in mind, Illinois' biggest city, Chicago, is famously corrupt. Chicago's first corruption trial was in 69. 1869, and that was just the beginning of crooked Illinois. Since then, thousands of government and business officials have been convicted of public profiteering. In many ways, questionable politics were business as usual in Illinois. But the timing was ripe, and his message worked. Blago won. He was the first Democrat to win the gubernatorial race in 30 years. Add in a Democratic state legislature, and people were pretty excited. Blago campaigned on a progressive agenda. He pushed state-subsidized health care for all Illinois children and became the first state to implement it. He fought for universal pre-K, free public transportation for senior citizens, raising the minimum wage. And it looked like there was a possibility for change. There was optimism and looking forward as a new kind of day in Illinois. Blago would usher in a new era, a real reset for a state government that sorely needed it. But those early days in office got off to a rocky start. His lack of interest in governance versus overwhelming effort to boost his ego kind of took precedent as parts of government really started to fall apart. Blagojevich, who loved campaigning for the job, struggled with the actual job. He served three terms in the legislature, state, then federal, but... He didn't really seem that interested in policy, which is sort of a big part of the job. He blew through budgets and made and broke so many agreements with different legislators that he lost their trust. On top of that, he would insult them. These are the very people he needed to work with to get things done. And then 
there were a lot of questions about the people he chose to fill key positions when he became governor. In fact, the Chicago Tribune started to look into the governor's hiring practices. The state attorney general at the time, Lisa Madigan, also had some questions. And as she began to look into that, lo and behold, a letter comes from the U.S. attorney's office asking her to stop her investigation so it doesn't conflict with their investigation. And that was the first time we learned that the U.S. Attorney's Office and the federal government were actively engaged in investigating Rod Blagojevich. Uh-oh. The U.S. Attorney's Office was looking into Blago too? Yeah, that's when you know it's serious. However, that didn't stop Blagojevich from winning re-election in 2006 even though he was under federal investigation, which continued quietly. But that's until Blagojevich was arrested at his home in early December of 2008, about a month after Obama was elected president and had resigned from his Senate seat. Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich has been arrested and charged in what the U.S. Attorney's Office is calling a corruption crime spree. Our newsroom was absolutely crazy because here we are, we've just gone through Obama's election and all the coverage that we did with that. And then literally a month after the election, we're at our desks at four o'clock in the morning getting ready for Blagojevich to be arrested by the FBI. 6 a.m. December 9th, 2008. Blagojevich, asleep in his home in the bougie neighborhood of Ravenswood Manor, woke up to a phone call. It was the head of the Chicago division of the FBI. He was calling to inform the governor that he was being arrested and there were two agents outside his door. Well, that's a hell of a good morning right there. Blagojevich was encouraged to leave quietly. The governor complied. When he emerged from his house a few minutes after the call in a running suit, he was escorted away in handcuffs. Blagojevich and his top aide were charged with conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud and solicitation of bribery. The big news coming out of this arrest, the main charge that had everyone talking, was that Blagojevich had been trying to auction off President Obama's vacant Senate seat to the highest bidder. What? See, remember, in Illinois, like in most states, it's the governor's job to appoint someone to fill a vacated Senate seat. So the decision fell to Blagojevich, and that responsibility gave him a little extra juice of influence. And Blagojevich knew it. He understood the value of what he had, and he decided to use that open seat to his advantage. So he leveraged it to see what he could get in exchange. This guy even entertained the idea of giving the seat to himself. Yeah, that was a little too obnoxious. But with that being out of the realm of possibility, he decided to use the vacant seat as a bartering chip. One idea was that if he appointed someone to the seat that the Obama administration liked, maybe he could get a cabinet position in exchange. But that didn't work out. The Obama administration didn't want any part of that. Or, as Blago said, they're not willing to give me anything except appreciation. Fuck them. Yes, this dude really said, fuck the Obama administration. There's no evidence that Obama or his administration were aware of, involved in, or implicated in what appeared to be 
pretty pie in the sky efforts by Blagojevich in that way. Okay, so it was clear that the Obama administration didn't want anything to do with Blago and his scheme. But the governor had other ideas, too. Maybe he couldn't get a cabinet position. But what about ambassadorship or the head role at a charity or at a powerful union? All to say he wasn't going to waste this chance. We know this because we can hear Blago saying it himself on wiretaps captured by the Justice Department. I mean, I've got this thing and it's fucking golden. And I'm just not giving it up for fucking nothing. I'm not going to do it. And and I can always parachute use it and fucking parachute me there. Yeah, buddy. Turns out you're going to parachute somewhere else. And let me tell you, it's not the U.S. Senate. You'll hear more after the break. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. The U.S. Attorney's Office had started taping Blagojevich towards the end of 2008, and they had hours and hours of evidence on their hands. Super valuable, but also a bit terrifying. Wiretapping is one of the government's more controversial tools, so you can't just wiretap willy-nilly. Well, in theory, you can't. A wiretap is a very significant invasion of privacy. The government is eavesdropping on the subject of the wiretap continuously, for the most part. So therefore, in order to obtain a court-authorized wiretap, the government has to go through a series of steps. You've got to jump through a bunch of hoops, talk to a lot of different people, and basically have enough evidence to show that a wiretap is essential. You need to show that all other means of conducting the investigation have essentially been tried and exhausted. Plus, once you've got that wiretap up and running, you need to do check-ins with the judge every 10 days. There are other rules, too. Like, if an agent is tapping a call and it has nothing to do with the investigation, they have to stop listening. But in Blagojevich's case, he was chatting a lot about various illegal activities. So there was a lot of talk on the wire about how he hoped to advance his own personal ambitions by trading around this Senate seat. He had a variety of ambitions. One was a position in the Obama administration. One was a lucrative position outside of government. And he was really seeking to maximize his leverage. People were shocked to find out what Blagojevich was caught saying on tape. It was pretty clear from the excerpts that were circulating that he had no problem using his position as governor for personal gain. But did it amount to a level of criminality? That was for the trial. But Rod Blagojevich didn't wait for the court of law to weigh in before he started appealing to the court of public opinion. 
After his arrest, while the Illinois legislature started to make motions towards impeachment, Blago started blabbing. He hit basically every morning talk show, anyone who would give him a platform to proclaim his innocence. Blagojevich would go on virtually any TV talk show held anywhere in the universe, and he would demand that they play the tapes. Everybody just kind of said, are you, are you sure you want that done? So he's demanding that people play tapes that seem like he's admitting to doing something wrong. I don't know how he thought this would help his case. It seems pretty stupid and silly. But the whole time, he seemed to treat this situation as if it wasn't a big deal at all. As if he were somehow immune from punishment. Rick recalled how Blago reacted when he first found out he was under investigation. When he learned about the fact that he was being surreptitiously taped, he publicly said at a press conference, you know, bring it on. I've got nothing but sunshine all over me. Well, I'm not sure that I would call that sunshine that dripped all over him. The Illinois state government acted quickly to shine their light upon Blagojevich because he was impeached twice. The Illinois House broke from vacation early to vote for impeachment, 114 to 1 in favor. And then, just to be safe, when the House started session again formally at the end of January, they voted to impeach him again. The Illinois Senate vote was unanimous, 59 to 0. Rob Blagojevich was impeached, stripped of his title, and for a good measure, the legislature voted to place a lifetime ban on the former governor. This guy would never be able to hold a political seat in Illinois again. You'd think that'd be a huge blow to Blagojevich, who had once been eyed as a possible rising star in the Democratic Party who now was banned from public office in his home state and still facing a federal trial. But for Blago, he was just beginning his fight. So we're going to move forward and I'm going to continue to fight every step of the way. Let me reassert to all of you once more that I am not guilty of any criminal wrongdoing. And with that, he kept going, finding the limelight wherever he could get it. If there was a camera, he was right in front of it, telling his side of the story. He was acting like himself. I would say not even taking the arrest seriously, almost using it as a badge of honor and something that made him, you know, an even larger public figure. We'll never forget when he appeared on David Letterman. Uh, former Governor Rod Blagojevich, here we go. Why, why exactly are you here? Honest to God, what? <laughs> Blagojevich said it. Well, you know, the, I've been wanting to be on your show in the worst way for the longest time. Well, you're on in the worst way, believe me. <laughs> but I don't know that he swayed anybody. We had done a Tribune poll about his job approval rating, and it was the lowest that we had ever seen a governor's job approval rating in the history of Tribune polls, which date back decades. He was at 13% job approval rating. And in fact, on one of the tapes that was played, he delivers a very expletive-filled rant about, you know, he gives health care to your grandmother, he gives them free rides on the bus, he tries to help your babies, and all I get is 13% support, go F yourself. To me, that's his summation of how he viewed the Illinois public. Go F yourselves. These tapes, they're pretty bad. And while we could listen to him all day, it wasn't the only thing the government had on Blagojevich. A complex criminal investigation 
never puts all its eggs in one basket. It's not only the activity on the wiretap. It would be necessary for the agents to follow up, to corroborate, to investigate, to interview witnesses, uh, all of which they did. So the government prosecutors were going into this trial with a whole bunch of evidence on the former governor. It was scheduled for June of 2010, just over a year and a half from when that vacant Senate seat fell into his lap. But Rod being Rod, he kept up his public circuit and decided a few months before the first trial to make an appearance on Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah, you heard that right. The show hosted by Donald Trump before he was president. I know what you're thinking. This story just gets weirder and weirder. But Blago goes on The Apprentice and makes it four rounds. What got him out, you wonder? Hmm, listen to this. It was a botched Harry Potter presentation. Unfortunately for Blago, Trump fired him. Which is ironic given what happens later. But we'll get there. I have great respect for you. I have great respect for your tenacity, for the fact that you just don't give up. But Rod, you're fired. It's coming off of that loss that Blagojevich faces his first trial. He's not the only one being tried. A number of aides and businessmen are charged too, but the focus is on Blago. And even though the government has those tapes, the jury still hangs on 23 counts. Blago was only convicted of one, lying to federal agents. Which is surprising, given that the trial illuminated the breadth and depth of Blagojevich's alleged scheme. It was a lot more than just trying to leverage that Senate seat. Blagojevich had been trying to use his power to eke out campaign contributions from people. He told the Children's Hospital, which requested the governor to increase the Medicaid reimbursement, that he'd do it in exchange for a $50,000 campaign donation. Come on, dude. A children's hospital? Really? He tried to shake down a road builder over money to go to the state tollway system. He tried to shake down some horse racing interests in exchange for legislation that they needed that would be very beneficial to the horse racing industry. So you really had this kind of wide-ranging group of issues. In short, he seemed to be willing to leverage just about anything in order to get more money. Money was his motive, something he said a number of times on those tapes, and he made it clear. You give me money, and I'll do something for you. And yet, convicted on just one count. The judge called for a retrial. The second trial was nothing like the first. Now facing 20 counts related to corruption, the jury found Blagojevich guilty of 17. Clearly, there were some key differences from the first trial and the second. The biggest difference was that Blagojevich took the stand in the second trial. He was on the stand for direct examination for days. Not inconsistent with his wanting to tell his side of the story in the public sphere. He wanted to tell his side of the story to a jury of his peers. Just another platform for the former governor to defend himself. But by testifying, Blagojevich also had to answer to his previous statements, something the government lawyers were acutely aware of. So, sure, on direct examination, Blago can shape his own narrative, but... The government has the opportunity to cross-examine. And the government sent up lead prosecutor Reed Sharp. 
and Shar's first question was linked to the one count that Rod had been convicted of in his first trial, lying to federal agents. And so the opening question was, Mr. Blagojevich, you're a convicted liar, aren't you? Blago finally tells the truth. He says yes. Immediately throwing into question everything that he had told the jury over days of his direct examination from the witness stand. And on the stand, Blagojevich was not an ideal witness. He rattled, he argued, he blustered, he pontificated. This dude even recited poetry. He didn't make his case. Plus, he was, and I quote, a convicted liar. So this lying, this corruption, what was the price to pay for all of this? Well, you just have to find out after the break. Rod Blagojevich was sentenced to 14 years in prison, double what the preceding governor, that briber, George Ryan, got. Well, so much for cleaning up the mess. The presiding judge, James B. Zagel, said, The harm here is not measured in the value of property or money. The harm is the erosion of public trust in government. The prison sentence shocked some people, but it was generally accepted and even lauded by both political parties. Did we think 14 years was harsh? Yes. Did we think it was unfair? I can't speak for everybody, but I didn't think it was unfair. The fact that this guy was also leaving problems that would take years to rectify in state government because of his inability to even want to govern. He he wanted the publicity of the office, but he didn't want the, the responsibilities and duties that come with it. There was another shocking thing about the sentencing hearing. It was Blagojevich's response, which up until this point had been to flatly deny any wrongdoing. But for the first time, he apologized. He said, I'm here convicted of crimes. The jury decided that I was guilty and I'm accepting of it. I acknowledge it. And I, of course, am unbelievably sorry for it. And then he went on to apologize to the people of Illinois and the court too, But Lagoyevich did still appeal the ruling. And when an appellate court took a look at his sentence, the Seventh Circuit reversed and remanded five counts, all related to the charges about selling Obama's sentence. The reason that the court vacated that particular count of conviction was because it found that Lagoyevich was engaged in what it called permissible log rolling. In other words, politicians horse trading and negotiating which the court regarded as an acceptable part of the job description, and that that did not amount to bribery. So in that sense, the court was distinguishing from a political favor in exchange for a cash bribe, whether in the form of a campaign donation or otherwise. All right, so let's get this clear. The court was saying that basically in politics, there's always going to be some level of deal-making going on. Elected officials agree to help each other out in exchange for other favors. For example, ambassador roles or cabinet positions or even just getting a bill through some trades. The court called it log rolling. And even if it seems gross, it's still permissible. Welcome to politics, people. No wonder no one likes it. 
but that didn't mean the appellate court was saying what Rod did was okay. He was definitely still guilty of corruption. They were just concerned that the jury wasn't instructed to distinguish between legal and illegal political dealing. And so the case ended up back in front of the trial judge to reconsider his sentence. But he didn't budge. Still 14 years. And off, Blago went to a prison in Colorado, generally fading in the public consciousness until February 2020. This morning, Rod Blagojevich is a free man. The disgraced former governor of Illinois walking out of prison overnight four years sooner than expected after President Trump signed off on a spree of pardons and commutations. Well, ain't that something? The guy who fired him freed him. Something Blagojevich had been advocating for, along with his wife, Patty, who went on Fox calling for Trump to pardon her husband. And in exchange, Blago declared his loyalty to the president, a self-described Trumpocrat. He's got a, I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrat, that's right. The pardon was met with bipartisan disapproval. Any of that original contrition Blagojevich had expressed at his first sentencing way back in 2011 was over. Yeah, that's long gone. He's got a bit of a different tune now. Tonight, tonight, tonight. This is the type of politician that never admits that they made a mistake. Every mile I ran, every push-up I did, every book I read, every word I wrote was my way of fighting back, my way of using the time in the wilderness to prepare for a better day. Waiting in the shadows, waiting for justice, waiting and hoping. Sounds like he was waiting for his opportunity to get back in front of the mic again to grace us with this poetic language. And perhaps the elephant in the room here is that this isn't just Blagojevich. I don't know about you, but I'm rarely shocked these days to hear stories of public officials committing crimes, Democrats, Republicans, anyone at all. And in some ways, it's about the people. In other ways, it's about the institutions that enable the people. When you basically have a political system where money can be funneled in through PACs that don't have to reveal donors and and dark money, and there's no limit, basically, in reality. The money gets bigger, the stakes get higher, and the greed factor just grows. Politics is exhausting. Most of us accept that we got to pay taxes for public services and such. And when it comes to the people we elect, it seems like it should be simple. Use the power we give you for good. But who's good are we talking about? Because what's good for me may not be good for you. And this is where the power thing gets tricky. If you have the power to determine who gets what, and you can directly benefit from this determination, what would you do? Maybe you would be the benevolent, selfless leader, or maybe power would inconspicuously turn you into a wheeler and dealer like Blago. What's sad is that I guess we've accepted a baseline level of wheeling and dealing in politics as normative. To some extent, politicians also function like businessmen. I mean, there's an entire history of public officials decamping to back rooms and cutting deals. You give me this, I'll give you that. Compromises, negotiations, trade-offs, that good old log rolling. They're all the what seems to be necessary pieces that come together to create policy even if we don't want to acknowledge it. But there's that slippery slope. And when a deal is cut in bad faith, when a deal is cut with the goal of personal gain, 
when a deal is cut without any consideration for others, then it's far too easy to trip up, to fall far from the original purpose. I'm going to be realistic. That fine line we ask public officials to walk every day is not going to go away. Anytime we give people power, we also give them our trust that they're going to use it responsibly. There's always going to be the risk of falling off, though, and so I guess while we've got that fine line, all we can do is try to keep a close eye on the people who choose to walk it and remind them to stay on the right side. But if you had that power, would you? Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month. Or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next week on Cheat. Between a third and a halfway through the season, the biggest story that I've ever heard in motorsport, and I've been, I've covered a lot, erupted. That McLaren apparently have been in receipt of technical information about Ferrari. I've never, ever known anything like this. None of us had. It was a bombshell. It was a massive, massive bombshell. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Julia Doyle. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola. <laughs>